welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. So uh, we are continuing in our series in, uh, in Peter, and we're going to... I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at the 11th verse. 1 Peter chapter 2, 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abandon from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as, as the supreme authority or the governors who are sent to him, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears, bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable for, before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his word, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So I really feel like um, I've been getting set, set up in this preacher's schedule, you know, um, got a little bone to pick because like, you know, you know, like when, when the time changed, we got an hour less sleep. Like, all of a sudden, that was my, my turn to, to preach, right? And now we're working through First Peter, working through Second, you know, and we get to this verse about, like, obey the government and, you know, uh, slaves obey your masters, and it's my turn to preach. Y'all, y'all with me? Like, that's a little conspiracy. I think Eric Knox and Rick McKinley got something going against them. I'm just saying. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. Maybe it's, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe God's trying to tell me something. I don't know. But I tell you, 
this, 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 for me personally, is a hard scripture. Uh, uh, in fact, I would rather skip over this piece, to be honest. Uh, and you know, when you when you're studying, and you know, I'm studying, and sometimes you 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 go to the context, right? Like you see something hard in the Bible, and you go, "Well, what is what what is the context of that?" Right? Because sometimes the context can can explain some things, and and you can take that hard thing a little better, right? You know what I'm saying? And and so that's the, we preachers do that. Like, oh man, that's that's a hard one. What's the context? So this is a hard one, and I'm like, what's the context? And I'm reading, studying this week, and the context didn't help. It, it, it didn't relieve, relieve what's happening here, right? I was looking for a way to kind of present this, uh, and it'd be a little bit lighter on us. But it's not. Um, yeah, there were different kinds of slaves back then. There were some indentured servants, and there were some, you know, house slaves and some field slaves and things like that, but they were still slaves. They were still mistreated. They were still beaten. They were still all of the same stuff. I couldn't, I could, I, I couldn't find anything. So, um, so, so this was hard. This was hard to figure out and hard to get to. And let's pray together through this. Um, but one of the things the Lord finally laid on my heart and showed me that uh, this scripture, in fact, is probably a pretty powerful, this is a very powerful few verse, verses in the text. Because the, you got to, like, think about who Peter's writing to, right? So, He's writing to these folks that are exiled and abandoned uh, and getting, you know, put out of their homes and all this. And he writes to slaves, right? Now, that w- imagine like uh, today this be- something being written, right? And it's not written to us. It's written to the folks laying downtown on the streets. And it's written to the women who have been sold into sex trafficking, not us. We're just listening in and able to catch some of what God is saying to the oppressed. That makes this a pretty powerful text. Not easy, but pretty powerful. And and some, some powerful stuff comes out. I, I, I was already convinced that the Bible is a unique book written from the, from the perspective of the oppressed. Now I'm convinced. This, 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 this piece of scripture helps take me over the edge. That, that this scriptures, these scriptures, this Bible needs to, be written, needs to be looked at from this perspective. This text is magical. It's quite empowering. And it shows God's intention to overthrow the powers of this world, right? Uh, uh, not his intention to destroy people, but overthrow powers. Yeah. See, see, if you go to this text and you concentrate on people, you'll lose it. You won't, like, you won't get it, right? Because um, I was entering this text going, like, 
the government, like, forget that. Slave masters, down with them, right? But if we enter this and not concentrate that and not lose our spiritual grip, then we'll, we'll catch on to this. It's like, it's like if, you, if, you, if you ever played any sport, right? And um, you know that when there's a crowd there, right, you can't concentrate on the crowd. If you concentrate on the crowd, your game's gone, right? Like the ball's coming at you and you're looking out in the crowd. Like that, that don't work, right? Somebody giving you a pass and you're like, what's up? You know, like, <laughs> like that, doesn't, that doesn't work, right? You've got to actually block the crowd out. Even though it's screaming and yelling, you talk to some athletes and go like, how do you do that? And they go, I don't even, like, I don't even hear that. I'm like, dude, something wrong with you if you can't hear that. But they learn to block the crowd. And what I, how I think we should approach this text today is let's block out the crowd and let's dive into the scripture and let God, let the Holy Spirit speak to us, not the crowd, Right. Uh, the crowd in this, in our perspective, is is the natural world, right? The crowd, the crowd, um, uh, uh, there, there, there is the government. The crowd um, are folks around yelling and screaming about stuff, but we need to hear from God. This battle is happening in the spiritual realm. It's not happening. It's not, it's not happening here. There are people being used on either side here, but the battle is taking place in the spiritual realm. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and against powers and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Don't concentrate on the crowd. I got to work on my glasses situation. It's getting a little... So, 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 so Jesus, Jesus, my daughter is laughing because she's been telling me I need to get some real glasses. So, so Peter approaches them first and saying, hey, foreigners, you remember we are foreigners and exiles, right? He reminds them again that this is not their home. This is not, this is not your home. This is not your place. We are not citizens of this place. We get our orders from somewhere different. The the kingdom economy works in a different way, right? It doesn't work as far as the heavens are from the earth, right? So are my ways from your ways, right? So like God says, you don't know, you got no idea what my ways are, right? Right? Like, like he's made that clear. And, and Peter is reiterating this. Like, you are foreigners and exiles. And it was playing out in their lives because, see, back then, once you, once you became a follower of Jesus, a follower of the way, you got thrown out of your family. People were getting killed. People were getting, the church had to, had to, had to be scattered, exiled. Some of the context here, Peter, right? They're all over the place trying to survive. Not like today. It's, it's, it's not you become a Christian and like there's a comfortable place for you to worship. 
That's, that's not the context here. And, and we need to be reminded, especially as comfortable Christians, that this ain't our deal. This is not our place. We have to operate differently. Right? And, and, and uh, uh, Peter says, live a good life here. Right? Live your life well. Glorify God, not yourselves. Right? And he says, let your good deeds, your good works speak. Yes. Right? So there's a place for good work. You know, we, we, always, we always throw works against salvation and, you know, all of those kinds of things. We know salvation is by faith. If you don't know, I want to reiterate that. Salvation is by faith. But our works speak. Right? What we do, how we live, how we react to one another, it speaks to the world. Yeah. Right? And these things matter. They matter heavily. Right? So you can't throw out works. Peter says, live a good life. Let people see the God you love out of the life you live. And then he, and then, and then he drops this, this deal of, Submit to the emperor. Man. I want to stick it to the man. I don't want to submit to the man. Right? That's Leroy Barber speaking right there. Like, like that's why I don't like this, this portion of text. Because if you're rebellious like me, submit to the emperor. You know what the man does to people. Right? And Peter says, no, 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 no. There is some purpose in this. Do this so that people can see me. You can speak into what's happening. We know Jesus wasn't just kind of the go-along guy, right? We know he submitted, but we know at times he let, it, he let things be known. Well, he's standing before Pilate, right, on a cross, and Pilate gets a little bigger than themselves and says, don't you know I had a power? And that somehow that, that didn't sit right with Jesus. And he's like, hey, oh, oh. You, he stops the cross, right? Everything going down. Like, no, 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 no. You got no power. In fact, the power you have has been given to you by me, right? Like commercial break. Oh, okay. Right? And, and, and he says this thing, nobody takes my life. I lay it down and I will raise it back up, right? This is Jesus, right? And, and, and then we see Jesus coming into the temple and at this time he gets angry and he turns the tables over, right? He's like, no, nah, we're not going to have this today. Right? So we see him in these different in these different ways, right? Of uh, yes, we are to submit to the government. Yes, tomorrow's tax day, pay your taxes, right? Right? Uh, Lord help us. Uh, whether you want to or not, pay them, right? Uh, and uh, 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 and this will give you give us something um, uh, Dr. King says here. Listen to Dr. King's quote. The church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. 
The church does not recap. Uh, the church does not recapture its prophetic. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. I think Dr. King spoke into us because we got we show sure enough got some irrelevant social clubs that have lost our zeal because we have tied into the state in the wrong way. We are a prophetic voice to the world. And if we lose our prophetic voice, then there's no need to do this. Why are you going to waste your time coming here on Sunday listening to me yell and scream? Right? Why are you going to do that? Why do you want to give your money to this? No, we do this because we are trying to bring about prophetic change. Thy kingdom come. Right? That's what we're looking for. See, see, the church has gotten off, off kilter many times. The Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa gives permission for apartheid. Right. They nail it, eat it to the door that allows for apartheid to kick in. They give the state permission. The Pope uh, signed some doctrines of discovery in the 1400s that eventually give right to Christopher Columbus to come here and kill millions of Native Americans because they had the right. The church, the Pope did that. Churches defended slavery. Pastors standing from pulpits saying, this thing is okay. This is right to do. The church has become complicit. We have lost our prophetic zeal. And there's nothing now, like in many places, a joke. Paul says, live as free people, right? He, he connects freedom in the midst of what's going on, right? People being thrown out of their homes, people being killed, slaves, but he says, live as free folks. Don't use your freedom for sin, he says. Don't use your freedom for yourself. Don't use your freedom for your own agenda. Don't use your freedom to fill your own pockets, right? He says, this is not what the freedom's for. After declaring them free, then he has this, then this line drops in, like slaves submit to your master. See, see, we saw, we, we can look back and see the distortion of this scripture, right? Where the church was complicit in this stuff. But we know now, right? Like this does not give permission for people, and it did not give permission for people to be captured and put in slave ships and chained in the hall for months, This did not give permission to throw 30 million dead bodies overboard at sea in the Atlantic. This did not give permission for them to stand people up on auction blocks and sell them. 
This did not give permission uh, to sell a woman's kids after she had given birth. This was not permission for a woman to be raped and impregnated only to make more slaves. This did not give permission to hang people. This did not give permission uh, for people to work without pay. This did not give permission to keep good schools away from certain groups of people. This did not give permission uh, to limit where certain people live. This did not give permission to kill millions of native people. This did not give permission to put Japanese folks in internment camps. Did not give permission to take their land. This did not give permission uh, uh, to beat and hurt people because of their sexual orientation. This did not give permission uh, for different rules for immigrants coming from Mexico than for, for those coming from Canada. This did not give permission uh, to sell women into trafficking. This did not give permission for gentrification or to gentrify a city. This word was given to those who found themselves in no situation. Peter looked out and saw a church that was struggling, their families dying, people scattered abroad, slaves in households being mistreated and misrepresented. And Peter looked out and says, hey, uh, I know this might sound crazy, but God, uh, God, God, God got something here. And I don't want you to accept slavery. I don't want you to accept apartheid, but there is a way to fight. That God declares that he has come to set the captives free, right? That God declares that the prisoner should be released. So we know the heart of God is not, is not to uh, embrace people in these situations. This was the way to invite God into this demonic evil space. Slavery is a principality. It's not of this world. See, we look out and we, we concentrate on the crowd. We concentrate on the people. And we need to realize this is a evil. This is a principality. Like, this thing isn't going to go down because we're mad. Well. This thing is going to go down because we have good strategy and good prayer. And we know when to fight and we know when to pray. We know when to shout out and we know when to go along. This is a spiritual battle. Apartheid is a power of the devil. God says, vengeance is mine. Like, God said, I got this. I got this. If you, if you trust me, I'm going to handle this situation. Right? That's the power he wants us to tap into. Like, God, yeah, yeah, you get this. And we got some evidence. See, see, see there's been nonviolent resistance that has happened. And here's what it states. 
Nonviolence means avoiding not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of the spirit. You not only refuse to shoot a person, but you refuse to hate them. See, 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 Dr. King, Dr. King had something when he talked about this, right? See, nonviolent resistance is planned struggle. Rosa Parks didn't happen like just off a whim. That was a planned day. They knew she was going to sit down on the bus that day and that the struggle would ensue. They were going to invite God into this presence, into this place, and challenge the systems that were. We need to train ourselves to invite God into this thing. So we're fighting it on our own strength, and we got to train so that God can take this space. Let his vengeance do its work. See, the problem I got, I don't know if you had this, but man, I want somebody to pay. The dude, when I was in high school, I went to this all-white high school, and the dude that grabbed me around the neck and began to call me nigger, I didn't want God to get him. I wanted to get him. I want vengeance to be Leroy's. Howard Thurman says, hey, man, you, you can't. You can't, you can't use hate because hate only tears you up. Hate only destroys the person who takes it in. We can't handle hate. Hate, hate destroys us. Howard Thurman says hate takes all the creativity out of us and leaves us empty. It might feel good for a minute, but it destroys us over time. But he says this, Howard Sermon says, uh, but fear not, he says, the scripture says, fear not, little flock, God says, for it is the will of God to give you the kingdom. Yes. See, God, God wants to take over. He, he is equality. He is, he, he, he is the creator of all people and sees us all equal, and he will do that thing. We got to learn how to invite them in. Got a few pictures I want to show up here. Let's uh, throw up that first one. Uh, that first one's just kind of cool, right? You know, I, I got to meet Bishop Tutu a couple weeks ago. And uh, you weren't supposed to take selfies, but I, I had to take one. I had to get uh, Show the next one. So, but, but, but then, like, out, the lady sitting across from here uh, is a friend of mine, and she's his, his uh, personal handler, and, uh, uh, and, she, and he, he, he said, hey, I want to go to breakfast. And she was like, hey, y'all want to go to breakfast? And I was like, uh, nah, I got some people waiting for me. Are you crazy? Of course I'm going to breakfast. <laughs> but it was at breakfast. It was at breakfast. That Bishop Tutu said this to us. He, we were talking about some things, and he says, hey, um, what you got to understand, um, we were talking about South Africa and apartheid, and he says, what you got to understand is that Nelson, he calls him Nelson, because it's his boy, Nelson, Nelson, when he went into prison, Nelson 
was, was radical and full of hate. He said Nelson's favorite line at the time was the best white person is a dead white person. That was Nelson Mandela that entered prison. And he said, uh, but by the time he came out, there was something different. Twist these pictures. This is uh, Robin Island. And um, here is the rock quarries where prisoners uh, and Nelson Mandela and his crews, they had to work all day long in this rock quarry. No pay, hot African sun beating down on them, just breaking rocks. Well, see that little hole right there? That little hole was where they were allowed to get out of the sun for a little bit. And it was where they had to go to the bathroom. So that was that place, right? But that's not the story. They used that hole as a classroom. Some of the leaders in South Africa right now went to school in that hole. Earned PhDs in that hole. There is something about the process of suffering that does something to us. It teaches us something. Now, I'm not looking for no suffering. I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not looking to walk into somebody's suffering, but I have to admit, like when I read this scripture and, and, and when I look at what God is saying, he's saying, I can, I can do something with your suffering if you let me. Like, like not, not, not going along with the evils, but let me do something. And, and what he did for this group of people is Nelson Mandela was a lawyer before he even went in this place. And he opened up a school. And he started, he started teaching people how to read, taking them through college courses and PhDs, the person that is president of South Africa right now was taught in a bathroom in a cell on Robben Island. God can do something with suffering that is beyond us. Go to the next one. See those kids? They didn't fight back. And the world was changed because they learned that process. Go to the next one. See, see, something's happening right there. Go to the next one. It's my favorite one. See, what's happening in this picture is the guy who's getting bit is inviting the guy who's letting the dog bite him into something, into something different. He's saying, I'm not going to retaliate. Come join me, brother. I'm not going to retaliate because you are loved as well. Right? You would look at this and you would have pity on the black guy. Right? But the black man is teaching right now. 
See, we don't know where to get our lessons. We don't understand how to listen to those who are in struggle and let them teach us how to invite God into our presence, how to make governments that are in just tumble. These scenes bent the government, bent the government towards justice. It didn't want to go. You think they wanted to change the laws? No. God was invited into this presence. Offering this young man, offering an example, a way out for that cop. So the question becomes, is there, is there some redemption in suffering? And knowing that, that, that God sent writers to concentrate on the people who were suffering and send them a message that says, hey, I know you're suffering and this thing is going to end. Let me give you a way out of here. See, imagine if those letters today were written to homeless folks and to women in sex trafficking, we would want to read them. We would want to know what they know. They would be our teachers. They would be the people we would be sitting at the feet of because what did God tell you? What what did that letter mean? Church should become the conscience of the state. Peter says, live Christ's life, a life of confrontation where sometimes we turn over tables, a life of love where grace goes deeper than you can imagine, and a life of obedience to walk into hard stuff. Because me, I want to punch that cop in the face, and I might have. God says, now obey me in this faith. I know it's hard. I know it sounds absolutely crazy. But it's going to change the world. And it has. We have no proof that something different works. We got Gandhi. We got King. We got Thoreau. We got all these people who used nonviolent resistance, planned out struggle to change the world but yet we want to keep going to war. You want to buy, and I want to buy, and punching somebody in the face. I'm sorry, I, this kind of guy I am, but I need to change. I need to submit myself to God's authority and let that lead the way. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. For your word. Lord, uh, there's probably not a line here for people to line up to suffer. To sign up. But God, we pray that you teach us how to do it. How to do it well. Lord, we pray that as we come to this communion table today, there will be a reminder of the suffering that you took on for us. 
that you were beat and broken so that we might live. Teach us those lessons. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.